See, here's, here's some church protocol. Here's some things that what, what they don't oftentimes teach you. Is when you see somebody praising God like that, don't just stare at them. Touch and agree that whatever it is that they're going through at this particular moment, whether it be good or bad, you touch and agree right now that God gets all the victory right now. God gets all the victory right now. God gets all the praise right now. So we touch and agree right now, whatever it is, Lord God. You meet her head right now, Lord God. You meet her at her need right now, Lord God. Whatever it is, Lord God, we trust in you today, Lord God. We thank you. We thank you, God, for victory. We thank you, God, for deliverance. We thank you, God, for covering today, Lord God. Bless right now, Jesus. Right now, Jesus. God is great. And he's greatly to be praised. He deserves our highest praise. Whatever it is, Lord God, you be there. 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 Touch and agree right now. Touch and agree right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. We touch and agree. We 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 in agreement with whatever it is, sister. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. We believe right now, Lord God. We thank you today. We stand firm on your word, Lord, that you told us that you would never leave us nor forsake us, Lord God. We cast all our cares on you right now, Lord God. She's got the victory today. Because your word never fails, Lord God. Your word never fails, Lord God. We thank you. God is a great God. I, I can keep saying the same thing over and over and over because he's consistent with his grace and with his mercy. We the ones that prolong the journey. But I thank you, God. I thank you, God. Does anybody else feel the presence of the Lord in this place today? bless continue to send down your anointing let the Holy Ghost permeate through this place today Lord God Lord let the, the words out of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight allow your message to permeate through me Lord God remove all of me you already here Lord God and I'm grateful I'm grateful for you Lord God this whole month I've had the honor and the privilege being able to stand before my family. My bishop trusted me enough with your lives for a month. You don't understand. You 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 may not understand. 
don't stand here today taking anything. I don't take this for granted at all. But I give all the glory to God. He's matured me from a boy to a man, and I'm grateful. series has been breaking bad. From the beginning, we talked about you making a conscious decision to pick up your cross and follow God. And the things that you had to endure while you decided to pick up your cross. See, the thing that what, what people may not tell you is that the moment that you decide to pick up your cross, that's when the trouble starts. That's when the enemy feels like, oh, that's what you said? So everything that you said you wouldn't do, he made it available. But people will ask, well, if God knew you were going to make that decision in the first place, why would, why would he give you that choice? But see, the thing about God is he gave, he's giving you the right of free will. He doesn't want to force himself on anybody, though he could. He wants you to choose him on your own. And so everything that you were tempted with, he can, the enemy can make available to you. But it's up to you to choose to follow God. So understand that the moment that you decide to pick up your cross, the road is not going to be easy. Then week two, we talked about breaking bad relationships. We identified in order for us to break bad relationships that we had to first forgive ourselves. See, a lot of people will tell you that in order for our relationship to get better, I've got to go to my brother and, or my sister or my wife or my girlfriend or my husband or my and seek their approval. You get forgiveness from God first. Then you have to forgive yourself. Because if, the, if you're still harboring things within yourself, there's no way that you have room to accept anything from anybody else. So you've got to forgive yourself. Then you have to go back in and you have to go back to the root. See, a lot of us don't understand that the reason that we're in situations that we're in right now is because of generational things. Sometimes we have to examine the relationship we had with our mother. We have to examine the relationship we had with our father or the lack thereof and then understand why we're not present in the life of our own. We have to understand first why our relationships went bad so that moving forward we can have valuable relationships. Last week, we talked about breaking bad religious habits. Because, see, the whole series was taken from a position of a newcomer, an unbeliever who decided that they wanted to follow Christ. Many times, we turn people away faster than what society tells them is acceptable. So we have to examine ourselves as believers to understand what part do we have to play in turning people away and making them feel 
not wanted, unwelcomed, judged. So now this week, because God has given us a great commission, we've decided to accept him as our Lord and Savior. We decided to take up our cross. We've repaired our relationships or attempting to repair our relationships. We're not going to pick up any bad religious habits. And so this week, we have to do what he commanded us to do, and that is to go and to make disciples, not just in our immediate community, but of nations. So our, our commission is to win souls, right? Y'all like my shirt. So today's title is Breaking Bad False Starts. It'll make sense, I promise. God is concerned with our well-being. He's concerned with our commitment, with our dedication. He's concerned about our ability to say we're committed to him on Sunday. And then on Sunday afternoon, We go back to picking up the very thing that we asked him to save us from. So as we go through this message, I, I, I want to I wanna ask you to do something for me, and, I, and I'll tie it all back in at the end. As we go through the message, I want you to introspectively, that means think within. You don't have to speak to anybody about it. But I want you to begin to think about the things that you want to break bad from. Whether it's drug addiction, whether it's bad relationships, whether it's procrastination, whether it's your inability to have good conversation or communication. Anything about your life that you feel at this particular moment that you would, uh, you would want God to break you from. Start to think about those things. And I promise again at the end that it's going to all make sense. Now the scripture that we're going to start with is Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And it says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And they saw him, they worshiped with him, but some doubted. See, this scripture is after Jesus rose and came back. And Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded of you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of time. 
After Christ was crucified and he rose on that third day, he met with the 11 living disciples. Now, some of you might be wondering, okay, well, I thought it was 12. The scripture tells us that after a certain disciple betrayed Jesus for a few pieces of silver, he hung himself. God being all-knowing, he knew that he would have to endure his journey. He knew that he would have to take up his cross. He knew that he would have to be crucified. He knew that he would be betrayed by someone that was close to him, but he endured anyway. He didn't go after the disciple that betrayed him. He allowed God to do what he told us that he would do. He told us that he would make our enemies our footstools. He told us that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And so he allowed God to be God in that situation. And he went through the process so we could get the promise. As Jesus met with the 11, he gave the commandment of go and make disciples of all the nations, meaning that we are to make people accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then once they are healed, see, sometimes you'll walk into a situation and because you come down and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you immediately get put into a position where you have to go serve. That's counterintuitive. That's like me hiring somebody to come work in my company and not giving them the proper training and the tools and resources necessary to go out and effectively do their job. So before we as the church begin to put people in positions of doing anything, we need to corral them. We need to comfort them. We need to wrap our arms around them and let them know that they are loved. Then we need to teach them. I can't expect somebody to do something that I've never taught them. And that's where we commit false starts. In order for that to happen, in order for us to go out and reach the nations, to be able to win souls for Christ, there has to be two different things that take place. Two different types of faith activation. The first faith activation will come on the part of the believer. As a believer, you will have to step out on faith knowing that God has got you covered. That no weapon formed against you shall prosper. You will have to trust the path that Christ has put you on and you must travel it. You must be led and directed by God and know that he will lead you sometimes into situations that will make you uncomfortable. But this is where we step out on faith and we know that in the end, because I decided to pick up my cross and follow him, he will ultimately have the glory so I will be perfectly fine. The second type of faith activation that we have to have is that will come on the part of the unbeliever. The unbeliever will have to step out on faith and realize that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And in order for them to gain access to heaven, they have to go through his son. God knew that the unbeliever would have to have an example today, just like his people did when Jesus walked the earth. And so as a believer, after you have decided to pick up your cross, you become that living example. Oh, it's quiet, but we, what we don't understand is that once we decide to pick up the cross, Jesus is not here physically, but we are designed in his image. Therefore, in order for us to be Christians, 
We must walk the way that he walked. We must be the example that the unbeliever sees physically because they deal with things that they don't necessarily have the strength to handle on their own. The Bible tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So as an unbeliever, think about the things that they go through. Think about the things that you went through before you got saved. And just imagine if somebody tried to push you out there to win a soul and you weren't equipped to do so. That's why we have so many members now that have, the old school term is called backslid. And they'll come in, they'll get saved, they'll acknowledge God, and then they'll go back to their ways. Because we put them in positions and places that they shouldn't be because they're unprepared. So that faith activation on the part of the non-believer has to be a cultivated activation. It has to be something where us as believers, we again corral ourselves around them. We were talking in the office before the service. And have you guys ever watched National Geographic? Have you watched how Indians, uh, not Indians, elephants. <laughs> have you watched how elephants, when they, they feel that there's a threat, they will back up butt to butt and put the babies in the middle. That's the same thing that we have to do for unbelievers because the enemy is going to try them the moment that they walk out of the door from the day that they decide to accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. So we as believers, we have to corral around these individuals and make sure that they're protected. We have to provide them with resources necessary to sustain their decision. It's not something that we should just take lightly or just turn away. It's our responsibility. There's many skeptics, many, many cynics. People want to argue, fuss, and fight about whether or not Christ is real and all these different things. But his word is. It stood the test of time. Regardless of the translation, the word is. In his powerful all-knowingness, and I know that all-knowingness is not a word, but I'm going to use it anyway. He knew that even as believers, sometimes we doubt. I don't like to do this, but touch your neighbor and say, I believe, but help my unbelief. Sometimes we have to have some tangible things as well, right? So Christ, before he left this world, he gave us a step-by-step -step instruction on how we are supposed to effectively go out and win souls. John chapter 4 provides those step-by-step -step instructions. And in John chapter 4, I'll just give you a quick backstory. John chapter 4 came after Matthew, right? The book of John comes after Matthew, right? So in the book of Matthew, it discusses Christ's crucifixion and his resurrection. In the book of John, he's telling us that we need to go out and we need to win souls. When the example that we're going to go over in John chapter 4, it's about Jesus talking to the woman from Samaria. That happened before he was crucified. Isn't it amazing how you can go through something early on in your life that will prepare you for something down the road, and you didn't realize it at the time, but when that experience is necessary, he'll bring it back to your recollection immediately. 
We go through on-the-job training, and sometimes I'll use school. We go through school. We, we go through algebra. We go through calculus. We go through all those classes. And we can go through probably about 10 to 15 years of our adult life and not have to use it. But that moment that you go through and you need to calculate your paycheck, you need to calculate a contract, the moment that you have to go back and remember. Just like that. He brings it back to recollection. Our God is faithful. And a faithful God prepares his people for the known and the unknown. John chapter 4 is an account of Christ's conversation and ultimately the conversion of the Samaritan woman. And towards the end, and see, this is where you got to go do your homework because I'm not going to go through it through this message, but I'm challenging you to read John chapter 4 in its entirety. I believe it's like 45 verses, 46 verses, something like that. It'll take you 20 minutes. That chapter is Christ's conversation and ultimately the conversion of the the Samaritan woman And then towards the end, the reaffirmation of his disciples to know that God's harvest wins souls. You reap what you sow. You go out. You plant seeds. You go back. You retrieve. God's harvest doesn't always follow commonality. What we see as problems, God sees as harvest. Meaning that he can transform even the most unthinkable minds to follow him. See, we as believers, we just have to get out of the way and let God be God. We've got to take our hand off the steering wheel in a lot of situations and put it on, put it on God pilot. Let him do his thing. So let's get into these false starts. Christ is modeling the exact behavior of what we should do while we're out winning souls. John chapter 4 verses 3 through 4 says, He left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go to Samaria. Somebody say multi-purpose trip. Thank you. On his trip to Galilee, God knew that there there was a stop that had to be made because there was a work that needs to be done in an area that not too many people would want to go. Now, Jesus stayed the course and went, he could have stayed the course and went straight into Galilee, but the scripture says he needed to go through Samaria. See, according to the scripture, it would have been an additional three days for him to reach Samaria versus going straight to Galilee. He went anyway. How many of us have these applications in our phone? And instead of going the way that God has directed us to go, we'll pull up ways We'll cancel the original GPS route in search of a new route, thinking that it's going to save us time. But what we don't realize is, is that God has intended for us to go the long way. Because there's something on the way that we're supposed to do before we get to that ultimate destination. So you've got to stop looking for the shortcut and look for the God cut, because in God, you'll find everything that it is that you need. Because Jesus made that trip into Samaria, what those three days would do is create bounty for the kingdom. He was able to convert an unlikely soul. And then with that conversion, it led to an unlikely conversion of a people, of an entire nation. And what is our commission is to go out and make disciples. 
disciples to win souls across not just our community, but across nations with an S on the end. Not just here in the United States of America, but some of us will be equipped with the tools to be able to travel the globe and speak about the good news of Jesus Christ. You got to understand that, that your responsibility is bigger than just coming here and sitting in a seat every Sunday. You got to come in here and you got to get fed so you can go out and do his business. Christ threw caution to the wind and taking his detour. For those of you that haven't read the, type, the chapter, I'll give you a quick little summation. See, Samaria was a place that many Jews would stay away from because the Jews had a strong hate for the Samaritans. The reason that there was such a strong dislike for the people was because when King Sargon of Assyria was exiled into Samaria, he repopulated the land with foreigners and Jews alike. Now, see, one thing that you got to understand about the Old Testament, the Jewish culture, they stop at the end of the Old Testament. They don't believe that Christ was risen on that third day. They believe that they're the chosen people. They believe that they're the purest of people. And so in that, when that king decided to mix DNA, they viewed that he had tainted their culture. And so they exiled, they disliked, they hated the people of Samaria. They actually called them unpure Jews. Now fast forward to today. In our charge, we're told to go out through the lands to reach, save, strengthen, and mature. That's our motto here at Heavenly Vision. But God has commissioned us to go out and to talk and to testify and to live a life that's pleasing and to be a living example of him here on earth. But many of us are reluctant to deal or to even step outside of those doors and do those kinds of things because we don't want to deal with people of other colors, other races, religions, sexual orientations, because in our small bubble, we forget that God told us to love unconditionally, but we put conditions on our love. We have conditioned ourselves to think that we are above everybody else. But the fact of the matter is, is that we all come from the same father. He doesn't see your color. See, there's something wrong with our culture. And I'm speaking about black culture for a second. There's something wrong with our culture when we begin to tear down one another and even this religion by saying that this is a white man's religion. But then we turn around and we say that the first man was Africa. Our way of thinking has to change in order for us to reach the people that God is calling us to meet. We have to realize that things have to start here at home first. The Bible tells us to love one another, and that means unconditionally. I don't care about what you did before you got here. I love you anyway. Because that's what God told me to do. Because he could care about what I did before I came out here. And if it wasn't pleasing to him, then he would. He didn't put conditions on his love for me, so I'm not going to put conditions on my love for you. I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to hold you up. I'm going to support you. And that's the kind of love that we have to have for one another before we go out and try to win any souls for Christ. We've got to do some love rehabilitation. 
We've got, we've got to look inward and figure out what our problem is before, before we're released onto somebody else because our biases oftentimes will keep us from fully exposing ourselves to somebody else. And the fact of the matter is, is that God told us to be vulnerable, to expose ourselves. Verse 6, chapter, John chapter 4, verse 6 says that Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat by the well. Sometimes where you stand depends on where you sit. I'll break it down. Sometimes where I stand or what I stand on depends on where, what I've been through. So my experiences will shape my thinking, my decision making. And so if I've gone through some things and I haven't been held or comforted, or if I don't know the love of God, then I will develop a bias that will keep me from fully exposing myself or allowing my thought process to accept what God has called me to do. So you have to understand that sometimes what you've gone through will affect where you stand. Not every situation is going to be the same, but God has provided a solution to every situation that we can encounter. See, the thing about it is that many of us don't understand that in his word, there is peace. There is understanding. There is solution to your problem. But how many of us today can say that we adequately spend enough time with God reading his word? How many times, how many of us can adequately say we can raise our hand and we can stand firmly and we can say that we give God everything that he deserves? How many of us can stand here today and we can raise our hand and say that every time we get into a problem, we ask God for something? Oh, I'm the only one. Thank you for those that have the courage to stand forth. I appreciate you standing with me. But the fact of the matter is, is that we all got work to do. We all have to acknowledge that before we can go out and win a soul, before we can do anything that Christ has charged us to do, we've got to realize our own situation. We've got to get it fixed. We've got to get it fixed fast. Verse 7, and we're just going to break these down just a little bit. We only got a little more to go. Verse 7 says, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Skip to verse 9. And this goes back to the fact that the Jews and the Samaritans don't get along. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink? And I'm a woman, first of all, and then I'm from Samaria. Christ is demonstrating to us at this point that no matter what it is that we've gone through, no matter what position that we have in life, no matter where we stand, no matter where we think we come from culturally, his love reigns supreme. He's also telling us that in order for us to be able to go out and win souls, that every salvation experience has to start with a conversation. Every salvation experience has to start with a conversation. We have to engage in, in conversations. We must communicate. But here's the thing. How many of y'all get sick and tired of talking about nothing? You talk to people, you look at Facebook, and you see the same thing 52 times, Instagram the same thing. It's nothing. 
Nothing is changing. It's the same. Our conversations are the same. We're not digging deep to really understand one another, so we're talking about nothing. What God is calling us to do is to have conversations with context. When, our, when we open our mouth to speak, it should be to say something with a purpose. It shouldn't be for us to cast judgment. It should be for us to help enlighten one another. It shouldn't be to cast down and to look down. It should be to lift up. It should be to encourage. It should be to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ. But we get so caught up in everything else and anything else that our conversations have no context. See, what he, what he, what he displayed in this, in this story, in these scriptures, is that he is the key that unlocks the door to racism, to injustice, to classism, to misunderstanding, to a lot of the things that we stand here today and we have a problem with, with our culture as a whole, Jesus is the key that will unlock the door to the solution. He is the way, the truth, and the life. His word tells us, but we have to have the key. Too many of us are walking around talking about nothing and ain't got no keys. So we continue to perpetuate the problem of our know-nothing conversations. One of the reasons that we also struggle with conversion is that our conversation remains weak. Our daily conversation, regardless if you're talking about grace and mercy, the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ or not should be Christ-centered. If I'm talking to you about something, whether it's church-related or not, every word that comes out of my mouth should be centered around what Christ has told us to do. Everything that comes out of my mouth should be Christ. I'm telling you now, what's happening is that society is, re- is trying to remove our ability to communicate. How many times have you had a conversation with your husband via text message? And you said something to him, and you were just asking him what he wanted for dinner. He gets the text message, and this didn't happen. I'm just using you as an example. But that, <laughs> but that gets misinterpreted. She asks me all the time through text message, where you at? I'm thinking she's checking up on me like I ain't supposed to be somewhere that I am. What do you mean, where am I at? I'm where I said I was. I'm where I said I was. Hit that Find Me app. But instead of me, instead of me going into the conversation with no defenses, I let my past experience and where I stand dictate how I receive the information. And so instead of me doing this, I'm in one of these. And us as Christians, when we go out into the world, and if we're attempting to talk to somebody about the goodness of Jesus, 
we don't we don't lead. Oftentimes we don't. I'm not gonna say everybody. We don't always lead with love. Because sometimes what people don't understand is communication is a verbal and a nonverbal. So if I walk up to you, just you know about that good news. Your perception, you immediately go in the defense because you don't know who I am. And I don't know what experiences you've gone through that make you want to be defensive. So immediately you put your guard up and you're unable at that particular moment to hear anything that I have to say. Instead of you hearing, if instead of you listening to hear, you listen to respond. And oftentimes because you didn't hear what it is that I had to say, you don't respond in the manner in which I wanted you to. Ah, there's a problem too, see? What we got to do is we got to stop thinking that people are going to respond the way that we desire them to respond. And we got to acquiesce to God and let him dictate the response in the situation. But I'm telling you, our verbal and our nonverbal communication will dictate the outcome of any conversation. Now, if your conversation is Christ-centered, know that you will have the success you desire. And just like the Samaritan woman, instead of her opening herself up to a conversation, she immediately went to what society dictated or what tradition dictated. (sighs) And she got into that defensive position. What you have to understand about that is Christ asked her for a drink of water. And he tells us in verse 10, this is where he will substantiate everything that it is that I'm saying to you right now. That you never know who you're encountering. So you've got to come in with the right frame of mind. Verse 10 says, if you, and this is Jesus talking to her. He said, if you knew the gift of God, And who it is who says to you, give me a drink. You would ask him and he would have given you living water. Now, some of you might not understand what he means by the word living water, but he's telling that telling her in that moment that if you would have asked who I am. I would have given you eternal life. How many of you guys have missed out on a blessing because instead of you, instead of you. You, you, you immediately, or you do one of these. You, 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 you do one of these because you've been jaded by the church, so you don't want to hear nothing that a church person got to say. But you've got to understand that God puts people in your life for a reason and a purpose. Sometimes we have to take off our, our worldly glasses and put on these spiritual goggles that God has given us. And I didn't say glasses because... You can't wear glasses in a war. You need your goggles to be able to, ah, you got to be able to see what the enemy is throwing your way. So when hellfire and brimstone is coming your way, glasses easily come apart. But these goggles that God has given you, they will help you weather the storm, but you've got to put on those goggles and stop thinking like society is telling you to think. We have to stop approaching each other inside the church the same way. 
we have to understand that everybody came from a different background. Everybody has a different experience. Everybody has their own issues. But what's our commonality? I don't even want to talk about who you were. I want to talk about whose you are. I want you to know that there's nothing that you can do on this side of heaven that he won't forgive you for. If you ask. It's not my place to put you in heaven or hell. It's my way. It's my responsibility to show you the way. God is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the ultimate judge. It's not DeMarcus. It's not anybody in here. So if you're sitting here today and you've been jaded by church, I promise you by the end of today, you will have an opportunity to get right. Because the fact of the matter is, is that the adage has been going on for years and years. Our grandmothers, our great-grandmothers have been talking about we living in the end days. But I promise you, you look outside in this society, in this world today. We this close. The Bible also tells us that he's coming back for a church without a spot or wrinkle. Don't think that it's the building. He's looking for a people. Now, the way that we get at a spot or the wrinkle is we have to love like Christ loved. That's how we get rid of the spots and the wrinkles. That's when we see Jesus. We have to love the way that he has demanded us to love. So we talking about we want to see Jesus. You got to start loving unconditionally. You got to start communicating with a purpose. You've got to start listening to hear, not listening to respond. Everything that you do has to be on task with what God has called you to do. Verse 11 and 12, this goes back to our human side. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with from the well. It's deep. How are you going to get some water? But then she asked it, uh, she said, where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? See, there goes the ignorance. There goes the ignorance. See, the ignorant part of it is, is that there's not enough people out there talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. So that when she encountered him, she would, I, would, I can't guarantee that she would know who he is, but she would have had a greater opportunity of understanding who he is and what he does. Christ replied to her. He said, whoever drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Meaning the water from the well, not the, ever, not, not the living water. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So if you doubted what I said a minute ago, it says it right here in the scripture that if we accept him, that he will spring up into us everlasting life. Our ignorance, her ignorance at the moment let her think that he was talking about physical water. She didn't quite understand what he was saying when he was talking about living water. How many of you guys have been religified? It's another, it's a, it's a DeMarcusism. How many of you have been religified? That means that you walk into a situation and you got somebody that stands up in the church and, oh, Father of God, are holier than thou, and you, everything that comes out of their mouth is on a 10. 
They're quoting scriptures that they're using out of the proper context. They're, 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 they're casting things out of you when they have absolutely no place. See, this is the thing also, that when you come here, you come here to learn. The Bible tells us to lean not on our own understanding. So when you come, you, you will be fellowshipped. You get to ask your questions. You get to be cultivated. You get to be developed. So that when you walk into a situation, because you may not be here all the time. See, sometimes what people have to understand is that you come to a particular fellowship. It's not about being permanent. It's about preparation. So that as you come here, you ask the questions that you need to know. If you have a question, which we should all have questions. Bishop can stand up here today and he can talk to you. He can give, a, he can give the best song, and he can come up here and preach a powerful word. But if it goes over your head, and then you don't meet him at the porch after church and say, hey, Bishop, I had a question about something you said. How are you going to learn? Too many of us feel embarrassed because we feel like we should be getting some of the things that the preacher is saying, or we've been conditioned to think that, okay, God sent me there. Mm-mm, not, not always. Sometimes you go on your own accord. But you expect to come here and you expect to learn. True, you've got to study on your own. You've got to ask your own questions. Don't sit back and think that everything that somebody else is saying is going to be fact. This is one of the biggest problems that we have as a culture. Too many people want to talk down about Christianity because we got too many people in the pulpit that shouldn't be. But here it is. This is our part. This is the part that we have to play. We don't study enough to know that they're wrong. So we stand here just gobbling up. Oh, I'm getting fed. I'm getting fed. But as soon as you go through a test or a trial and you haven't been equipped, you crumble. You go back to doing the thing that you swore to God that that church delivered you from. So I don't know about you, but the moment that you step foot in heavenly vision, it's our responsibility. Bishop, everybody on this ministerial staff, that if you have a question, if you have a doubt, if you have any inkling that you're going to backslide or go back, you reach out, but I charge you this. I, one better. Every minister in here stand up. She, Lady K is on the floor. She can't get up. It's all good. I got you. I got you. But you see all of these ministers. Deke, stand up. There's no reason. That's like a, a six to one ratio at this particular moment. There's no reason that you can't pick up the phone and call somebody. But there's also no reason that any of us shouldn't be reaching out to these people to make sure that they're corralled. To make sure that they're taken care of. And I promise you this. You guys can be seated. I promise you this. We're a growing church. Nobody's perfect. So if nobody reached out to you yet, guess what? After this, and it's not just because of this sermon, but this has already been in preparation. Somebody going to reach out to you, but here's where you got to do your part. You got to pick up the phone. You got to respond to an email. You got to show back up. You got to do your part. 
Because a relationship is a two-way street. We have to be able to relate. I can relate to myself, and that's not a relationship. It takes two or more. So we commit to being what you need to get what you got to get from God so that you can go out and win souls. Jesus began, he continued to break down her defenses by revealing things about her that nobody would know that wasn't related to her. Verse 16 through 18 says, Jesus told her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered truthfully and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. But I'll tell you something about this Samaritan woman. She did something that many of us won't do. She exposed, she exposed herself. She was transparent with the man that she didn't even know. And many of us go through so many different things. And we won't even open up ourselves to one another because we have a fear of being embarrassed. We have a fear of being persecuted. We have a fear of being judged. And that is a shame. I'm talking to myself. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to myself. The fact of the matter is, is that if we want to win souls, then we have to make sure that people feel comfortable enough even if they are a stranger, to be able to expose their weakest moments, to be able to not hide anything from them. And if you feel like you have to hide something, then you're not in the right place. As the charge tells us, as we go forward to win souls, we have to, when we go to reach people, we have to get their buy-in. And the one way that we get their buy-in is, again, by providing a testimony. I said this last week that oftentimes we go through things, and you may not understand why you go through those things. But the fact of the matter is, is that you may not even be going through it for yourself. You're going through it for somebody else. And because you don't always know who's watching you, they're looking to see, oh, he's a believer. He was a part of that first faith activation. He stepped out on his faith, and he's walking, and he's talking, and he's proclaiming God. But let me see what he do when his wife leaves him. Let me see what he do when he loses his job. Let me see what he does when he gets into a car accident and ain't got no insurance. Oh, nobody else ride dirty? Y'all, come on, stop it. At some point in your life, you drove without a license, you had no insurance, you did. Come on now, let's be truthful. We talking about be transparent. We, we've all done some things that we shouldn't have done in our life. It don't make it right, it just may mean that it happened. <laughs> Making false starts, brother. Making false starts. Now, once you have decided to give your life to Christ, before you go out and before you begin to win souls, there's some, there's some things in Ephesians that he tells us that are going to be available to us. Ephesians 4.11 tells us that now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. See, 
Before I even tell you what they are, some people try to put on all five hats. And that's when you step over your bounds. Now, there will be some that have been given all five gifts. But for most of us, we will have one to operate in. The gifts are, there will be apostles, there will be prophets, there will be evangelists, there will be pastors, and there will be teachers. Where do you fit? You don't have to answer right now, but I need you to start to understand that at, at some point in time, if you're going to decide to carry your cross and you're going to decide to get out there and walk like Christ, you have got to figure out what your lane is. And you've got to operate in your lane. Stop crossing lanes because that's when you cause accidents. One of the things that we have to do is, again, we've got to activate our faith. We've got to step out on our faith. Now, what do you do to strengthen your faith? You say, okay, well, I come. They ask me for my tithes. I pay my 10% begrudgingly. That means that you don't want to do it. But because you know that you grew up in the church that you're supposed to do it, so you do it anyway. No, God, the Bible tells us that God loves a cheerful giver. Time, talent, and treasure. So just because you come and you take up a seat and you feel like you pay your tithes, that doesn't mean that you're doing what God has called, all of what God has called you to do. See, some of us begin to try to negotiate with God, and we think that, oh, if I just do this little bit, he'll overlook everything else. He's a God of totality. He wants it all. Tennis shoes. Verse 23, 24, and I'm almost done. Now, this is where I got happy. I was, I was battling. The enemy was trying me. He was like, yeah, none of what you're saying is making sense to anybody but you. And I said, yeah, you know the God I serve just like I know the God I serve. This ain't about me. But I know that there's some things that are in me that I've got to continue to work on and fix. And so when I read verse 23 and 24, it says, but the hour is coming. And is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. See, what people don't understand is that God is the spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. That means that you can't lie to God. You, you might as well not even try and fake it. But I'm excited. You want to know why I'm excited? Because I know that on the other side of whatever it is that I'm going through, my God is able and just to pull me through. He's able and he's just to reward me for my process. He's able to reward me for my diligence. He's able to forgive me when I stumble and fall. He's able to hold me up when I feel like I don't have anybody. He's able to open up doors that man has closed. He's able to pull me through different situations. So I know that on the other side of whatever it is that I'm going through, God's got me. How many of y'all thought I was going to fall off that step? I'll tell you something. When God is in it, God's got you. God's got you. 
So I'm telling you guys today to understand something. It's later for the faking and the shaking. In order for us to get to where God is calling us to be, it's not about single elevation. See, that's the problem that we've had for a long time. It's all about me, 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 me. Bishop gets elevated, guess what? We all get elevated. If I get elevated, I hit that jackpot lottery, guess what? Everybody will get a little something. I don't even play the lottery, but God is good, right? <laughs> I think it was like 400 million. Y'all might even get a couple thousand out of that 400 million. Y'all can put in on that ticket. We can buy a whole bunch of them tickets. <laughs> hit that jackpot, that Jesus jackpot. I need that Jesus jackpot in my life. God is able and he's just. I promise you this. I promise you. I promise you. I promise you this. I told you guys this at the very beginning and I'm almost, I'm, I'm, I'm closing. We have to begin to understand that if we want to see change, it starts within. He doesn't want us to fake and shake no more. He doesn't want part-time Christians. So if you're not ready to fully commit, then don't. I would rather to I would rather I would rather for you to tell me that you're not ready and for me to still chase you than for you to come down here and for you to tell me I'm all in but then you go back and you keep doing what it is that you were doing and it's okay see this is the thing that people don't understand it's okay today and I'm, I'm only saying this because I'm going to continue to pray for you. And I'm going to continue to invite you. But the one thing that you've got to understand is you don't have forever to wait. And you have to understand something about it. I said it at the beginning. The end is near. We've got to get right. Now, at the beginning, I asked you guys, to start thinking about some things. Over this entire month, I'm just going to share my testimony while you continue to ponder on what it is that you want God to break you from. I had a spirit of procrastination. I know I can, I work well under pressure. See, some people will tell, have you guys ever been on a job interview and they say, well, one of your strengths? And they say, oh, I work well under pressure. Well, if you worked well, there would be no pressure. I asked God to break me from procrastination. I asked God to open up my heart and allow me to fully walk in what he has called me to walk in. He's shown me things, and I didn't even know until now. Greatness is here, and I'm not even talking about me. I'm talking about God is great, and he's here. So today is the day. I'm charging each and every one of you to make a decision.
Remember, I don't have a heaven or hell to put you in. But I've been tasked with helping to lead and guide you in a way. So my ministers, brothers are here. Bishop is here. Minister Kena is here. My mom asked me to give these to her so she could write them. But God told me no. In my time last night, I took 210 popsicle sticks. And I wrote, I wrote the word bad on it. And they're going to come and they're going to give everybody in here. We should. I believe we have more than enough. They're going to give you a popsicle stick. Now, once you receive your popsicle stick, I want you to begin to think about your relationship with God. And I want you to begin to think about the things that you want God to deliver you from. Things that you want him to break from your life. But here's the thing. As, as, as a people of God, the reason that many of us are still in the place that we've been and we keep going through the same thing is because we come down here and we give, we, we say we give God all of our cares. But then right before we get ready to go back to our seat, we pick it back up because we feel that we can do better than God. Or we feel that God isn't moving fast enough. But what I want you to do today is this is a charge for everybody to use that popsicle stick as an outward demonstration of an inner belief that God has given you the victory over anything that you ask him for. Any bad thing, before you break it, hold on. Giving you, he's giving you victory. Now here's, here is the disclaimer. I want everybody to stand up. If you can, if you can't, I get it. We'll get somebody to come by you. But I want you at this particular moment, get everything that you want God to break from you and you clench it in the hand with the popsicle stick and then I want you to make your way down to this altar and when you come down to this altar we all gonna come down to this altar together we're gonna pray And then I'm going to give the command to break the popsicle stick. And the moment that you break that popsicle stick, you're going to drop it on this altar. And the symbolization of you dropping it onto that altar, broken, means that you don't have the ability to pick it back up. So if you're thinking about something, if you're thinking about something and you're not sure that you can quite give it up yet, don't break that thing because I don't want it to hop back on you if you're not ready to give it up yet. But the moment that you break that popsicle stick and you drop it on the altar, God is going to send you down a sense of release that you've never felt before in your life.
Make your way. And I promise it'll be room. in here that knows within their heart that you need to refresh your relationship with God. If you, if you know that you need to refresh your relationship with God, you can raise your hand or not. But as you stand at this altar, this is another opportunity for you to rededicate your life to Christ. And there's nothing wrong with you rededicating your life to Christ. Because he told us in his word that he, his son came down to die on the cross for our sins. So there's nothing that you did that he won't forgive you for. But he wants a stronger relationship with each and every one of us. He wants to be able to pull you close to his bosom. And he wants you to feel the love that you are so longing for. He wants to break every stronghold. He wants to provide you with an opportunity to create a different relationship with him. Also at the end, Heavenly Vision is a growing church. So our doors are open to receive those who may not have a church home. And so if you feel so pricked, you can see one of those ministers that stood up. And we will love on you. We're going to grow together. We're going to continue to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. And you're more than welcome here. A place of no judgment. We could care less about what you did before. We care about what you're going to do going forward. Your gracious and heavenly Father, today we stand collectively as a people. We stand collectively as a people, Father God. Number one, asking you for forgiveness, Father God. We ask you to forgive us of our sins, Lord God. Those that we are aware of, Lord God. And those things that we've made so subconsciously innate in us, Father God, we ask that you forgive us of those as well. We ask, Father God, that right now you remove anything that is not like you in us. I ask you right now, Father God, that you touch, you deliver, you set free each and every individual that's standing around this altar right now, Lord God. I ask right now, Lord God, that you set down a fire of anointing on each and every one of us, Lord God, that no matter what the enemy tries to attack us with, that we can stand firm on your word knowing that you shall never fail us. That you've told us in your word, Father God, give us a, a sense of comfort. Help us to understand that you told us in your word that you would never leave us nor forsake us. And as long as we seek after you, Lord God, that our seed will never beg for bread. So give us the strength to endure our cross, Father God. 
Give us the strength to break our bad relationships, Father God. Give us the ability to look inward instead of always pointing the finger outward to try to figure out what somebody else did to us. Allow us to fix us, Lord God. You, you fix us today. We ask, Father God, that you touch this fellowship. You touch this collective of people right now, Father God. You allow any bad religious habits that we carried forth from generation to generation be broken at the moment that we snap those popsicle sticks, Lord God. We don't want to carry anything that's not like you, Father God. We want to have a spirit of love, a spirit of warmth, a spirit of togetherness, Father God. And so in you, all things are possible. Give us the strength, Father God, that as we go forth to live a life that mirrors the life that Christ lived here on earth, it may not be perfect, Father God, and you know that. But give us the strength and the endurance to be able to hold on, to be able to take our journey the way that we're supposed to take our journey. Yes, God. We ask, Father God, that you remove all of the false starts out of our life right now, Father God. Remove the false starts, Lord God. Repair any relationship that needs to be repaired in Jesus' name today, Father God. Father, we know that we give you all the honor and all the praise today, Lord God. And if anybody down here today, Lord God, decided to rededicate their life to you, I ask, Father God, right now that you open up their heart. You tear down any walls right now, Father God. You allow them to be as vulnerable as possible right now, Father God. Because you need the room to be able to go in and to repair things right now, Father God. We, we thank you today, Lord God for the victory in their life right now because they decided to turn from their ways and to turn their focus on you. We give you all the honor and all of the praise today. In Jesus' name. Now, Minister Rodney, let me get that. Let me get that. It's already done. I need that war cry like you did yesterday, Keon. I, I, need, I need that because... I'm telling you, when we, 